Hello, comrades, and welcome to the podcast you are currently listening to. I promise, this isn't a Russian invasion, just a temporary occupation. I'm Roberto, one of the hosts of the podcast, Czar Power. And I'm Brendan, the other half of the podcast. Together, we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. They will compete based on how well they fought, how successful they were in life, how much kompromat, or blackmail, they had on them, how handsome they were, and how long they ruled for. After being scored, we decide whether they get to party it out in the Kremlin or get sent straight to the Gulag. Those who make it to the Kremlin will need to duke it out for the position of best Russian ruler. You can find us on any podcast host as Tsar Power, on Twitter at Tsar Power Pod, and on Facebook as Tsar Power. That's Tsar spelled T-S-A-R. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. And if you hear a knock on your door, beware. The KGB is coming to make your stay a bit more permanent. Welcome to the Alexander Standard. Today's episode, Antipater. Welcome to the Alexander Standard, where we rank all the successors of Alexander the Great, starting with Perdiccas and ending with Cleopatra the Seventh. My name is Dustin, and I'm Meredith. And what's up? How you doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah, it's a little bit faster than the Perdiccas interim, and Antipater also has very little time, but But more. I'm sure he did a lot. He did a bit more than you'd think. Yeah. First of all, how you doing, Meredith? I'm good. I don't know if anyone else can tell, but Meredith's pupils are dilated. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sneak attack from the eye doctor. And the eye. Yeah, you went to the dentist, too. And, and the you, dentist today. You got great teeth. Great teeth. So what did you so do? I got a frappuccino. That's right, because your teeth are conclusively healthy enough Fine. to assault with sugar. Yep. All right, you ready to jump right into him? Yes. That is all the... Small talk and fluff I'm going to give. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell you something about our old, our man Antipater here. So you remember last time with Perdiccas, I really relied on James Rom, and I just kept referring back to him because it was just an awesome source. Yeah. But this time, you're going to be hearing me reference Diodorus Siculus a lot. Oh, okay. And that's nothing weird. It's just as I was typing up the notes, I just kept saying like, oh my gosh, at some point, she's going to ask me if I looked at anybody else besides Diodorus Siculus, because every quote's like, now according to Diodorus Siculus, so it's just, he's the man for this. It's okay. okay. So jumping right into it, as we always do, Antipater, let's do the etymology of his name, Antipatros, which seems to mean like the father. It could mean with the, because it's got the anti prefix and that would lead your mind to think, all right, so he's against his father, but I think it kind of means like, like him as in like kind of opposite him, just kind of compared to his father, that kind of thing. Okay. Kind of a mean thing to name your baby. Well, it's weird too, because I mean, you know, there's the play Antigone. Yeah. And her name means born against. So I'm looking at Antipatros and it, I'm thinking, shouldn't that mean against the father? But I... I just keep getting, you know, stuff saying that it really means like the father. So, okay, go with that. What did Nikki say? I haven't asked Nikki. And when she hears about this, hell to pay. So, remember how I said we know next to nothing about Perdiccas? Yes. And his background? Well, Antipater's got more for you on that. We know next to nothing about less. We uh, Yes, there you go. Yes. He, he, he goes even further in the less. If less is more, then just think about how much more less could be. <laughs> So what we do think is he was born around 400 BCE. Nice round number. Yeah, so he's older than Philip. Okay. Oh. Yeah, that's going to be a theme with Antipater. You'll recall last time when we were talking about dividing up the empire, I was like, and there's, there's Antipater over there in Greece and Macedon, and for some reason he just wouldn't die. Yeah, I think I've only ever heard you in passing always call him old man Antipater. It rolls off the tongue really well. So we do know his place of birth was Paliora, Macedon. Please don't ask me where that is. Okay. All right. Um, we know the name of his father. There's two different spellings here, Aeolus or Aeolus. It's not Protipater. <laughs> that's brilliant no no not protipiter not positiviter or something like that no i like eolus you probably didn't watch it but when i was a kid there was the hercules the legendary journeys remember that no 
Kevin Sorbo? No. You don't remember Xena Warrior Princess? I, my Hercules was animated. Okay, well, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. We're going to have to stop the podcast right now and just go binge Hercules. And we're back. We just binge watched the entire series of Hercules. <laughs> no, we didn't. One of his, like, his sidekick on the show was, um, I think his name was Eolus or something like that. And I always thought he was cool. Brought back good memories of my childhood. Moving right along. Antipater was not from a royal line like Perdiccas was. Okay. But his family was distantly related to Philip and Alexander. Right? And that's all we got. Okay. Yep. That's all yep. we got. That's I'll, a childhood. But I will t- speaking of children, I'll tell you one thing Antipater did and that we know all about. He had some babies. Ten children, you know, from his wives. Oh, okay. Polygamy? Not from what I could see. The source I read just said that we don't know who his wives were. Okay. I didn't get any impression of polygamy. Well, and I think you said, too, that was something more so practiced by, like, the ruling Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So that would make sense. Sure. But we do know their names. And who they married. Or the the children. Okay. Especially with the the daughters, Mm. unfortunately, as is the way in the ancient world. So his children's names. Phila, Eurydice, Nicaea, Aeolus, Cassander, Plastarchus, Philip, Nicanor. Alex Arcus, and Paraleus. Now, most of those names, Meredith, will mean absolutely nothing to you as we continue our story. Well, I recognize Nikaya and Eurydice, but I know it's not the same Yeah, people. exactly. There's a f- and I recognize Cassander only in the sense that I've heard you. You've heard me say his name. Yes, I have heard his name, and I will say his name in his own episode. Yeah. So that kind of gives you some four to four. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was more right. li- meaning. Yeah, it just kind of makes me mad that we have another Philip in here, just because it's well, yet again an instance where we just have so many people named the same damn thing. Yeah. Which is just foreshadowing the Ptolemies. Well, I'm kind of fine with that. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah, because there's the not same like 18. Aim over because and there's over. not, oh, you're okay with the Ptolemy thing. Well, I think I'm fine when it's just a straight the same. It's when you say you're giving me variation, but we're still only doing three names. Oh, oh, you're going to hate the Seleucids. Because all it is is Seleucus and Tychus, Seleucus and Tychus, Seleucus and Tychus. And then it's just like, oh, here's an Alexander for you, Seleucus and Tychus. Just like House of Dragon, we've got oh Aegon, Aegon, Aemon, Daemon. So although we know he was born around 400 BCE, he doesn't really pop up as far as activity until 342. So he's already 58 years young. When he pops up on the radar is like stuff that we can see attributed to him. Oh. Right. So he's appointed as regent of Macedon early on. When Philip was still alive and campaigning in the north, at that time, Athens had rebelled and tried to see, con- seize control of, of Euboea, which was an island next to Athens, big old island. Antipater sent troops to stop them, and he had later gone as Philip's representative to the oracle at Delphi, because if you'll recall, around 342, Philip was involved in something called the Sacred War, a big war with a bunch of Greek cities with Thebes and Athens on opposite sides. And so he was fighting a proxy war with Athens. They weren't fighting directly, but they were fighting each other's allies. And so this is an instance of that. Four years later, however, Antipater is present at the Battle of Chironea, the big battle where Philip, once and for all, defeated Athens and Thebes and their combined army, solidifying his control over Greece. And a year later, Antipater was sent as an ambassador to Athens after Chironea, and he returned the bones of fallen Athenian soldiers. Now, the significance there, yeah, so you're looking a little bit confused? Return them to who? They, oh, I'm sorry. He returned the bones of fallen Athenians to Athens. Oh, okay. So he brought, you know, That's back nice. the remains. Yeah, it was nice. And you'll recall that while Philip was kind of shaking his finger at Thebes, he was really hands off with Athens. Mm-hmm. Everybody's lenient with Athens, which yeah. I'm just now realizing, which is another reason I hate Athens. Ancient <laughs> Athens. They're never held accountable. I'm sure the modern, modern Athenians are wonderful people. Delightful. Yes. I always would tell my students that Athens was like the Walmart of politics. If there was anything else you wanted, somebody in Athens would support it politically. So this is, I'm going to throw you a curveball here because you may recall, do you remember one thing about Antipater's relationship with a certain person? Somebody he didn't get along with? Oh yeah, he and Olympias hate each other. Right. So this is weird because around 336, when Alexander had ascended the throne of Macedon, he was an early supporter of Alex and Olympias. So they start off really good. Then they get frosty later. Or is it that he's a supporter of Alex and Alex's mom happens to be Olympias? You know, that's an excellent point. He did help Alexander secure the throne after Philip's death. I think he guided him in some of the people he told him to kill and how to, like, really consolidate his power. Crumples up that piece of paper that says, your mom. 
Yeah. Just says, another time, another time. <laughs> Ironically, Antipater was among those who advised Alex not to attack Persia, which may be the reason why when Alexander left for the Persian campaign, Antipater got left behind in Macedon as the regent and strategos, the Greek term for general of Europe. But it was also the fact that even here, he's already in his 70s. I was, he's in yeah. his 60s. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's probably why he said don't do it, because he thought he was going to have to go to oh. 70. <laughs> he's like, for God's sakes, like, I am this don't. close to getting my AARP card. It's like, can we just sit and enjoy what we have? It hurts to get off the couch, Alex. Do you have any idea how <laughs> it's going to feel getting on the boat? And yet, just as Chris said in one of our emails, one of, he was one of our first questions from the audience. Chris had commented that Alexander was so lopsided and that he was really lucky that someone didn't come, you know, attack him in Macedon while he was gone. But actually that did happen because Antipater is left behind in Macedon and he immediately has to deal with rebellions and with invasions by barbarians in the north. People like the Thracians again, because remember, if the Greeks think the Macedonians are half barbarian and the Macedonians think the Thracians are half barbarian, then they're like three quarters barbarian. Antipater also had to constantly send troops to Alexander. So he's put in a weird position where he's got to hold the Macedonian front, the Macedonian homeland, Mm -hmm. and yet he constantly has to send these reinforcements to Alexander. So it's really, he's kind of fighting with one hand tied behind his back. Yeah, when I remember even, I think it was in Philip's episode, you were quoting some numbers of troops, and I jokingly said, like, who's left in Macedon to do anything? Yeah, that becomes an issue here. Like I said, the Thracians are in the, in the north, they're rebelling. He's going to deal with that diplomatically. But you'll never guess who, of all people, decide as soon as Alexander leaves, just a few years afterwards, they want to get froggy and start something. Now I'll give you a hint. Okay. It's not Athens. Okay, so we're not, I'm not looking for a specific person. No, you're looking for a city. Oh, a city. Oh, Thebes. Mm-mm. Sparta. Sparta. Out of nowhere. Look at you still existing. I know. And so Sparta apparently had like a little revolution going on here where this new king, August the Third, had some spring in his step. Mm. And he thinks now Alexander's gone, it is time to throw off this Macedonian hegemony. And Athens and Thebes are just like, oh, God. I think they did really kind of keep him at arm's length. Mm. But um, he did get a lot of support. First of all, he got Persian funding. Darius, yeah. you sneaky dog. Yeah, so I think our friends at the So You Think You Can Rule Persia podcast are probably going to talk about that. And it allowed August to raise an army of 20,000 soldiers. And listen, let me tell you something. We didn't get a chance to go over it, but the way that Sparta's government was set up and the way that they had structured their society and their war and their war machine they had at their peak would have only been able to field an army of ten thousand. Oh, and they are long long past their peak okay so these are mercenaries these are mostly mercenaries and allies but nevertheless it does that's a good number yes that's that's some deep pockets from persia mm-hmm. right which might have been better spent in persia yeah i'd like to believe i can give darius the benefit of the doubt there because if i was darius and i saw Alexander coming, I also would have thought, like, this guy's nothing. I'm going to mop the floor with him. Yeah, I'll help the Spartans out. Or maybe you would think 20,000 would be enough to make Alexander, like, turn around. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Especially because Alexander only went into Persia with, like, you know, enough supplies for a month. Oh, yeah. yeah. Forgot so, about that. Quite the gamble. Mm-hmm. Quite the gamble. With this 20,000-strong army, August actually led the Spartans and his mercenaries and his allies to conquer the whole island of Crete kind of secure his southern flank. And then he gained alliance with several Greek cities, the Achaeans and the Arcadians and the city of Elis. But you are correct, Meredith, that Athens, strangely enough, remained neutral. After tangling with Philip and then Alex, I think they had some sense knocked into him. And then watching the entire city of Thebes raised to the ground can be a disincentive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're looking at that chart where the axis is like, fuck around, find out. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like we're they, here they yeah they're they <laughs> f-ed around they found out we don't want to find out by the year 331 antipater's in control bard is kicking up dirt and after all of their initial forays and persian funding they eventually attack the city of megalopolis which is what forces antipater to act and i'll tell you why 
because when Megalopolis, where it's positioned, is kind of getting closer to inland Greece, and it's getting closer to some really serious waterways. So it was kind of an important location. Ironically, however, the city of Megalopolis, it means big town. It was little. It was very tiny. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just more impressed. When you said Megalopolis, I was like, so not a Philippopolis or an Alexandropolis. Nope. Now Antipater's got some problems. Okay, the Thracians, okay. Spartans, okay. Thracians and Spartans at the same time? No. Oh, no, that sucks. Now he has a war on two fronts. So as I said, he gets rid of the Thracian problem immediately by making peace with them. He just kind of gives them a blanket pardon, just kind of like dust our hands off, let it go. The Spartans are a big issue, especially with this huge army they have. And so Antipater immediately sends word to Alex and says actually what you were saying is like, dude, you got to come help. You got to send me troops because there were no soldiers in Macedon. Mm. Antipater was able to raise some troops. He could do some levies, but he just couldn't get enough to match the Spartans. By now, it's 3.30. A.M. or P.M.? I don't even know how to respond. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. (laughs) So by 3.30, Alex is well into the campaign. He's got a lot of money that he's taken from the Persians, a lot of Persian assets he's seized. And so he doesn't send any troops to Antipater, but he does send him a lot of money. Enough money that Antipater could pay for troops and mercenaries and raise his own army now of 40,000. Oh, no, but here's my thing. People are a finite resource. Where are these people coming from? Mercenaries? Here's the ironic thing. We didn't get a chance to go over it, but after the Peloponnesian War from like... 430 to 400 around that time, which was essentially World War Greece, because the entire Greek world was at war with each other between Athens and Sparta, you know, at the head. The economic infrastructure of Greece was ruined. And one of the symptoms of that was, you know, trade was crippled, local economies were crippled, but there was a high demand for soldiers. Okay. And so as a consequence of that, after the Peloponnesian War and for a long time because of just the constant warfare in Greece, there was this huge supply of mercenary armies. If there was a general with deep pockets, there were people who didn't have jobs and had nothing better to do, they'll go fight for him. So if you have money, this is a pretty easy thing to obtain. Yes. Okay. And there's unfortunately always a need for soldiers. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not surprising that Antipater is able to raise this army. They wouldn't have all been Macedonians. In fact, probably a minority of them would have been Macedonians. They would have been foreign mercenaries. Subsequently, a very tough battle took place. Heavy losses on both sides. Antipater finally wins, however, and August dies in battle. Sparta sues for peace immediately, and they they were forced to pay 120 talents, which I'll... Find the conversion later for you, but just take my word for it now. That's a lot of money. And they were then forced to join the League of Corinth, which I think is the best part of this. Is that still a thing? Oh, yeah, technically. No, the thing (laughs) is, is that Sparta has notoriously never wanted to play ball with anybody. Anytime anyone starts a league, they're like, no, we don't do that. Kind of like a hipster thing. It's like, no, we're really not into leagues. So when they forced them to join the League of Corinth, it's like the real big slap in the face. This was such a big victory, but apparently it made little Alexander jealous. Oh. Yeah. So when he... Oh, is that when he jumped over the wall? No. Did a number of other reckless things? No, those are... That's just another Tuesday to Alex. No, this time he actually wrote a letter and he said, It seems, my friends, that while we have been conquering Darius here... There has been a battle of mice in Arcadia. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Little bit. There you go. Now, Antipater seems to have gained a reputation for dealing a bit of a heavy hand in Greece. Things weren't peachy, to say the least, but after the defeat of the Spartans in 330, he was able to kind of maintain some control. But he had a bit of a heavy hand. He supported oligarchs and tyrants in Greece. He really didn't like democracy. Okay. So he liked to put people in charge that he could trust and people of money and stature because they could be bought probably. But he did work within the League of Corinth that Philip set up and that Alexander set up and that both of them knew was just a sham, but he did, you know, work within it. Gradually, unfortunately, his relationship with Olympias deteriorated significantly to the point that Alexander actually ordered Antipater to come to Asia with troops just to get him away from Olympias. Oh, no. And that is why, right before Alex dies, when he sends Craterus home with all Mm -hmm. those veterans, Craterus was ordered to take the European command away from Antipater. Oh. Yeah. So it was a demotion. Looking out for mom. Yep. Now, one of our more obscure sources is called Pseudo-Callisthenes because it's attributed to Callisthenes, but it's probably not him. But his account says, Olympias often wrote about Antipater and her suffering because she, the mother of Alexander, was despised. And I love this part. And Antipater said what he wished. <laughs> 
<laughs> and she wrote down his strange treatment of her. And on account of all this, she kept saying she wished Alexander would return to Epirus, because apparently she was too good for Macedon at that point. Alexander determined to end the rising hostility of Antipater against his mother and to summon Antipater to himself. And so he sent Coteras to Macedonia. Fortunately for Antipater, that whole trip got canceled when Alex died the next year in 323. Craterus is just like halted in a yeah, desert. Yeah, just kind of hangs out for a bit. I don't know if you're aware, but Alexander died. Pretty big deal. He did. 323. Oh. Alexander died. It's your but favorite I'm, year. I'm sure he left a well thought out and detailed succession well, plan. Well, why wouldn't he? Right? I mean. If he's any king of substance, he's, he's gonna. He's jumped over a wall. He's had a, he's had a near death experience yeah. with a four foot arrow through his neck. That makes you reckon with your mortality. The whole theme of House of Dragon for eight episodes has been succession. These are things that you put a lot of effort and time and thought into. And so, even when you do, it's going to go to, you But know. that's why you but, have backup plans for your plans. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're not picking up on the sarcasm, it's because Alexander's stupid and didn't do any of that. Everything goes to crap. Did you know that Antipater was accused of assassinating Alexander? I did not. Yes, well, we mentioned there was some th there were there was some talk that you know certain people had been trying to poison him. Like some people even said Aristotle tried to poison him or something. Oh like yeah, that. and there was like that entry that was like it might have been Aristotle. We have nothing else to say. Right. People say that Alex might have been assassinated. They said his ass might have been assassinated. Antipater was actually one of the people who was suspected of being a part of it. So here's how this supposedly would have gone down, according to the the historian Justin. The author of this conspiracy was Antipater, who, seeing that his dearest friends were being put to death, that his son-in-law was cut off, and that he himself, after his important services in Greece, was not so much liked by the king as envied by him, and was also persecuted with various charges by his mother, Olympias. Reflecting, too, on the severe penalties inflicted a few days before on the governors of the foreign nations, and hence imagining that he was sent forth from Macedonia not to share in the war but to suffer punishment secretly in order to be beforehand with Alexander, furnished his son Cassander with poison, who with his brothers Philippus and Aeolus was accustomed to attend on the king at table. The strength of this poison was so great that it could be contained in neither in brass nor iron nor shell, nor could even be conveyed in any other way than in the hoof of a horse. Cassander had been warned to trust nobody but the Thessalian and his brothers. Apparently there was a Thessalian guy with him. Okay. And hence it was that the banquet was prepared and renewed in the house of the Thessalian. I just don't know this guy's who name. Who are you? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Philippus and Aeolus, who used to taste and mix the king's drink, had the poison ready in cold water, which they put into the drink after it had been tasted. I think I had a Mr. Burns thing going on I was on about there. to say, you yeah. sound like that guy from The Simpsons. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'm going to give you two lists. Okay. okay. As I was looking into this, a lot of historians actually thought this was pretty credible. They're like, hmm. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Antipater had his son Cassandra do it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Diodorus Siculus, Vitruvius, Valerius Maximus, Curtius Rufus, one of our more reliable sources, Pliny the Elder, not the Younger. Plutarch even reports it, and Pseudoclisthenes. On the other hand, Plutarch is also skeptical in another account. I guess he changed his mind. He doesn't believe it. Pausanias doesn't believe it. And Arian, another one of our big sources on Alexander, also is skeptical, but he just says that he heard of it. So there seems to be some doubt by a lot of these people. Yeah, well, and I mean, it is a pretty common trope that anytime someone dies young and unexpectedly, you go poison. When yeah. really, it's just look at the world we were medically living in. I mean, it's a guy who jumps into city walls with no backup, gets hit with a four foot arrow in the chest sticking out of his neck, by the way. Most likely cause of death for that kind of person is poison. Mm -hmm. Not his own dumb <laughs> choices. Right. <laughs> Now, when I was coming across, this is a bit of a tangent, but it works. I'm just going to read this because I, I, I laughed out loud when I saw this. While I was just reading about this, somehow a story about Aristotle came up. This has nothing to do with Antipater, but this is just something off the cuff that I read. This is from Plutarch's Treatise on Talkativeness. For when Aristotle himself was annoyed by a chatterer and bored with some silly stories, and the fellow kept repeating, Isn't it wonderful, Aristotle? There's nothing wonderful about that, said Aristotle, but that anyone with feet endures you. Yeah, they walk away. There you go. To another man of the same sort, who said after a long rigmarole, Poor philosopher, I've wearied you in my talk. Aristotle said, Heavens no, I wasn't listening. <laughs> so, 
We know what happened next with Alexander. I'd like to spend another hour recapping everything that happened in the previous episode. And we're back an hour later. Alexander died. Perdiccas becomes regent. And that went perfectly. Perfectly. Without a hitch. No one disagreed. Nope. No one was stomped by elephants. No one married their niece. Not yet. That's coming, though. But as we will recall, among these appointments, no one forgot about old Antipater, such that the Byzantine historian Photius reminds us to Antipater, the whole of Macedonia, Greece, Illyria, the country of the Triboli, and Agrianes, and all the mainland over which he had been appointed sole commander from the time of Alexander. The general charge of affairs and the defense of the kingdom was entrusted to Croteros. Now this I mentioned because you will recall that when Perdiccas was divvying up the empire, mm-hmm. Croteros was the only one that really did not have a well-defined job. Yeah. He had that army of veterans. He had stopped in Anatolia. They don't know what to do with Croteros, but like, <laughs> so they just gave him this like ambiguous title that said he was like the defender. Like he wasn't commander in chief of the army. They were like, you just defend some, just be the defender of the kingdom. No. <laughs> so fancy so look if the paycheck's high enough, oh my gosh you're the defender it. of the kingdom do you know that no one else is defender of the kingdom just you buddy boy but it also seems to be that Craterus was sent to Macedon because Perdiscus was just hoping and just like Antipater's gotta die soon that's true right and this mm-hmm. would just kill two birds with one stone it's like you're gonna take over when he dies. Which should be Which has got to be soon. Which has to be what do you got? Five o'clock? Should have um, been yesterday, yeah. but mm-hmm. we're on borrowed time. That's right. Also, whenever a king dies, there's never there's never any chaos in other parts of the realm. I think that's always true. No, no one it goes no one ever super rebels. Smooth. Right. So it would be completely surprising for you to hear that upon Alexander's death, Greece almost as a whole decides that once again It's go time. It's go time. They want to get froggy. Now, this is called the Lamian War. I want you to guess who's at the front of it. Lamia. Nope, but that's a good guess because that's going to be one of the cities. Oh. It's a big part of the war. Okay. Well, it's like a, it's one of the big battlegrounds. I was just saying gibberish. Um, <laughs> Jibber-jabber. Um, Athens. Athens is at the lead. Mm-hmm. They watched Sparta. That went perfectly, and they said, we can do better. And so the Lamian War, after Alexander died, was headed by Athens, Some Greek cities in Thessaly, that was a Greek region, northern Greece, that Macedon had conquered during the reign of Philip. So it's like the Macedonians look at this as their backyard. And also a region called Aetolia. Now, I've made a lot of comparison with the whole metaphor of rednecks and barbarians. The Aetolians, however, are a different ballgame. They're mountain folk. Oh, God. They are Greek, but they're mountain folk. And they're pirates. Okay. Right. And they are the thorn and everybody's side for like the next 200 years oh the Aetolians just can't stop won't stop and they're pretty dumb about it so this was instigated in athens by two principal orators one of which will sound quite familiar to you number one is hyperades hadn't heard of him yet he's new no but the second one is our old buddy freezing up falling down loving philip hating philip demosthenes <gasps> He's still alive. He's still here and he's running that gaping hole in his face yet again. They also get this really courageous general who may have fought in Alexander's armies named Leosthenes to lead the war of Greek independence. This is the southern Greeks all banding together to assert their independence against Macedon. And they field an army on their own. No Persian help this time of 25,000 soldiers. Hmm. Now, Sparta could never do this. That was the point with Sparta. But these Greeks can, Mm -hmm. especially Athens, who bounces back from anything. Mm. You know how cats have nine lives? Athens has more. Athens just bounces off of concrete. Can't decide if I'd want to live in Athens or not, though. No. If you live in Athens long enough, something's going to go horribly wrong. Yeah. Now, here's where Antipater is in dire straits. He can only raise an army of 13,000 troops. And that's barely... That's less than 25,000. That's Yes. By a lot. By a lot. That is the scientific amount. Yes, that's the metric. And he, this is him scraping the bottom of the barrel for this. But Diodorus Siculus does say that the reason for this problem was that the manpower in Macedon had been severely diminished because of Alexander's campaigns. Yeah. The constant drain of manpower and reinforcements. And so Antipater struggles very early on in the Lamian War. The first battle was at Thermopylae. 
Never heard of it. Exactly. Never mo- never appeared in a movie with Gerard Butler. Unfortunately, Antipater's cavalry defected from him immediately and went over to the Greeks. Just to save the horses. It's true. Don't. And if that's why it. they did it, I'd like I'd like to believe and I'd be okay with it. Nevertheless, Antipater was defeated in this first battle, and he has to retreat north to the Thessalian city of. Megalopolis. No, Lamia. Sorry. That's what you said earlier. <laughs> he retreats to the... Is he no- there? He retreats to Lamia, yeah. Well, I didn't know if it was like he in quotation marks of like his army, but yes. is he with them? He, yeah, he led this He led this attack and he okay. was defeated and he had to retreat north to Lamia. Still though, at his age. I know, and he's actually leading these, these charges. Mm. In one of the last battles that I read about, it said specifically that he was like leading his phalanx unit. Dang. He will not quit until he (laughs) dies. So he retreats to Lamia and then he starts asking everybody for help. Because, you know, there's all these other satraps that Perdiccas has spread out now. So he's just sending word to everybody. I'm like, you gotta help. And here's an account we have from Hyperades, one of the people who started this war. One of the, he's one of the orators that was with Demosthenes mm-hmm. and starting stuff mm-hmm. and won't start nothing, won't be nothing. And now there is something because he started something. So he, this is actually at a funeral oration he gives. And I wonder if you can pick up about a name I'm going to drop. But it also talks about this battle. <clears throat> For Laosthenes perceived that the whole of Greece was humiliated and cowed, corrupted by men who were accepting bribes from Philip and Alexander against their native countries. He realized that our city stood in need of a commander, and Greece herself to a city. Able to assume the leadership, he gave himself to his country and the city to the Greeks, in the cause of freedom. After raising a mercenary force, he took command of the citizen army and defeated the first opponents of Greek freedom, the Boeotians, Macedonians, and Eubians, together with their other allies in battle in Boeotia. That's where Thebes is. Thence he advanced to Pili and occupied the gate the pass through which, in bygone days as well, barbarians marched against the Greeks. He thus prevented the inroad of Antipater into Greece, and overtaking him in that vicinity, and defeated him in battle, and shut him into Lamia, which he then besieged. The Thessalians, Phocaeans, your friends, Focus, Focus and Phocae, Aetolians, and all the other people in the regions he made his allies, bringing under his control by their own consent the men whom Philip and Alexander gloried in controlling against their wish. The circumstances subject to his will he mastered, but fate he could not overpower. Who do you think I'm alluding to in this speech? Leosthenes? Yeah, he died. Oh, he's dead! Yeah, the guy who defeated Antipater? Just like that, already dead. Here's how it happens. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, Antipater's besieged. Yep. In Lamia, and yep. Leosthenes lays siege to Lamia, right? Yes, because he actually you have does to have this the seizure. Yeah, oh, nice. Leosthenes is pretty bold with this, and I actually have to admire him, but unfortunately, oh no. <sighs> Once again, Diodorus Siculus has the account for us. No voice this time. Antipater was defeated in battle, and subsequently he neither dared nor engaged in battle, nor was able to return in safety to Macedonia, and he took refuge in Lamia. He kept his troops in the city, and he strengthened its walls. Besides preparing the arms and the engines and the food, while he anxiously waiting for his allies from Asia. Leosthenes, when he came near Lamia with all his forces, he fortified a camp with a deep ditch and a palisade. And at first he would drop his forces and he would approach the city and he would challenge the Macedonians to battle. But then, as the latter did not risk any encounter, he made daily attacks on the walls with relays of soldiers. But Antipater holds the town, <laughs> frustrating Leosthenes. Diodorus continues saying that, Leosthenes, he given up hope of him capturing the city by storm, so he shut off all the supplies that were going into it. He's thinking that he could easily reduce by hunger the forces besieging the city. He also built a wall and dug a deep, wide trench, thereby cutting off all escape for the beleaguered troops. And now we turn to a new chapter called One Bird, One Stone. You see, Antipater gets lucky, Meredith. Oh, God. The Aetolians, those pirates... Yeah. They go home. Oh, good. They're like, are they tired? Yes. Oh. Yes, they're like, we got a festival. We have to go home. And Leosthenes is like, guys, we're here at the city. And they're like, no, nah, we're good. We got to go home now. I built this ditch. I built this ditch. You good, right? That's the only thing I gleaned from that whole past quote was trench and ditch. Diodorus continues. On temperature and his men, however, 
They were nearly exhausted and the city was in danger of being taken because of the anticipated famine when chance gave the Macedonians an unexpected turn of good fortune. For when Antipater made an attack on the men who were digging the moat and a struggle ensued, Leosthenes, he came to the aid of his men, but he was struck on the head with a stone and he all at once he just fell and he was carried away. Then he died three days later. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Meredith. He got hit in the head with a rock. He got rock. hit in the head with a rock. He died. <laughs> the otterist says he got hit in the head with a rock. We have a couple of different ones. Justin says that Leosthenes was just hit while passing by the city. <laughs> <laughs> However, Erosius says that, no, nah, what really happened is that Leosthenes got hit with a spear. He doesn't say hit in the head with a spear, but I want to believe if it was a spear... It was in the head, because that's metal. Now, this is good for Antipater, but he's still stuck in the city. Fortunately, this is 322 now. This is a good year after Alexander died. Finally, help comes. I was about to say, that funeral procession hasn't started yet. No, it hasn't. I mean, it did take (laughs) two years for that anyway. Yeah, But finally, in 322, help Mm -hmm. arrives. Leonatus, the satrap of Lesser Phrygia and recent fiance of of cleopatra Cleopatra, alexander's sister comes to antipater's aid this is where he dies isn't it? indeed he raised or brought an army of twenty-one thousand five hundred soldiers and he immediately dies in the first battle but leonidas's forces do manage to strain the greek coalition's dwindling army and so they're forced to withdraw the siege and antipater is therefore able to slip out of Lamia and retreat north to Macedon. And along the way, he just scoops up the remainders of Leonidas's army and absorbs them into his own troops. Now from 13,000, he's got the better part of 30,000 troops at his disposal. Well, over 30,000 troops. So this is pretty big. This is really good for him. And he very smartly, I think, decides, well, that was a sticky situation. Instead of just going on the offensive, he goes back to Macedon and waits for more reinforcements to come. Mm. He's not playing games with these people. And it was good that Antipater did this because more help did come from a little gentleman we all know and love, Crateros. Because he did stop and hang out in Anatolia for a while, but eventually he did make his way to Macedon and he brought with him 12,000 troops. Half of those were veterans who had crossed into Asia with Alexander. 4,000 had been recruited while on the march in Asia. And he even brought 1,000 Persian bowmen, who were actually pretty famous, you know, using, using, using bows. Yeah. When all this was said and done, I know the numbers aren't going to add up, but Greeks, math, you know. Now Antipater has an army of around 40,000 heavy infantry, 3,000 archers and slingers, and 5,000 cavalry. So he actually has a very sizable yeah. force right now. Now Antipater does what we've already heard about with Perdiccas. The best way to solidify any alliance is marriage. Marriage. Brings us together to die. die. Antipater forms an alliance with Craterus, and to solidify this, he marries his daughter, Phila, hmm. to Craterus. I really want to make sure I say this the right way, because unfortunately it is probably the case that these poor women did not have a lot of agency or didn't have a lot of choice in these marriages. Definitely, probably not. Right. So um, I don't want to say that she married Crateros. No. But it is the case that she was married to him. Crateros and Antipater then lead a joint campaign against the Greeks. Now they go on the offensive. This all culminates in the Battle of Crenon, where Antipater and Crateros just mop the floor with the Greeks. They are defeated. They surrender. That coalition is broken up and negotiations actually took place in the ruin of Thebes, which I have to believe had some symbolic meaning. Just a bit. Yeah, all about. The peace terms were this. Antipater imposes an oligarchy onto Athens. He puts a garrison in the Piraeus, which is Athens's port city, which is a pr- pretty big deal because that was their lifeline if they ever wanted to stir up trouble. Athens returns to the League of Corinth. They pay a very heavy indemnity. Essentially, they pay for the war. And Antipater actually settles 12,000 poor Athenians in Thrace, which is transplants the population. He demands the surrender also of the two main instigators of the revolt, Demosthenes and Hipparides. So Demosthenes immediately runs away. Oh. He's out of town. Now, I, I appreciate the consistency of character. Yes. And I got to tell you, he did it because the Athenians were not playing around. They were, at, they were about to turn both of those guys in. Mm. So this was not a situation of like, oh, I should, I should leave because I'm an embarrassing. Oh, no, I should leave because everyone I know is going to 
is going <laughs> to They agree. They're going to get they want to get rid of me. I'm the villain in everyone's story. <laughs> so he runs away, but he commits suicide because he realizes that he's not going to make it. He, I yeah. think he bounces around from place to place and he realizes no one wants him and he's actually being chased because there's a bounty hunter after him. We have different accounts, but Plutarch gives us all of the accounts. He basically just says, here's what everyone says. Some say that he died by drinking poison. Mm-hmm. Some, su- some say that he died sucking on a poison pin. Like he was just kind of, okay. ha- you know, like when you just kind of have your pin in your mouth when you're just yeah. kind of talking about something like you just going of... and some say he wore a poisoned bracelet, sucked poison from a ring that he had. And my favorite, some people say he just held his breath until he died, which I don't think you can do because you'll pass out. No, eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you had me there. I was like, OK, so like consensus is poison. Yeah. Hyperades, however, his situation was a lot worse. He ran away, too, mm-hmm. but he got caught. He was brought to Antipater at Corinth, and when put to the torture, mm-hmm. he bit off his own tongue no. so that he might not have to utter any secrets of his native city. And in this way, he died. But someone else says that he went to Macedonia, where his tongue was cut out, and he himself was killed and then thrown away and unburied. Harsh. What I did find is like one of these really interesting details was apparently the the bounty hunter that was coming after these guys. He had a really cool name. His his name was Archaeos, the Exile Hunter. Ooh. This summer on Peacock. Now, for the early part of 321, Antipater and Craterus are mopping up Greek resistance. The Aetolians are still resisting. They went home, left everybody else, when they're still fighting. The Macedonians bring an army of 32,500, and the Aetolians are not scared. <laughs> they raised their own army of 10,000. There you go. And then they abandon a lot of their cities, take the women and children, and just run up into the mountains. And they just hold out. And Antipater and Craterus are gearing up for this, and that's when they receive word about Perdiccas. He had tried to get scrappy. And apparently old Purdy was trying to make himself absolute ruler of the empire. Because mm. Antigonus, Antigonus, who was in Asia Minor, he had ran away from Perdiccas because he didn't want to follow his orders. And he told on Perdiccas, he told Antipater that Perdiccas is thinking of marrying Cleopatra because originally he was supposed to marry Nikaya, Nikaya, Antipater's daughter. And that was the whole plan. You have to remember, Perdiccas asked Antipater for this. Yeah. He asked to marry Nikaya. Mm-hmm. He sought out this alliance. Mm-hmm. And now, as soon as Cleopatra just comes down and she's just flipping her hair and saying, hey, big boy, would you like to have an empire? exactly what she sounded like that's when perdicus <laughs> was like yeah i like cleopatra i'm just gonna dump nikaya and antigonus he kind of like embellishes a little bit he's like not only is he gonna dump your daughter he's gonna come to macedon and he's gonna get rid of you but deodorus siculus himself supports this rumor because he doesn't just say that he does say like antigonus told antipater this but then Theodorus on his own also does say that Perdiccas wanted to be a king and he looked at Cleopatra as a way to sway the Macedonian people to his side. No, that would make sense. There might have been some substance to him coming to attack Antipater because there was an Athenian named Demides and it was discovered that he had actually been urging Perdiccas to come and attack Antipater. So there might have been some substance to it. So Antipater and Craterus immediately make peace with the Aetolians. They didn't really care about terms because they planned to conquer them later. Literally, it, it's because they, they as soon as they wrapped up the thing with Perdiccas, they were going to come back, conquer the Aetolians, and they had planned to transplant the entire population to the most distant desert of Asia. Meantime, they allied themselves with Ptolemy, who also hated Perdiccas and had just stolen Alexander's body. Dun, dun, or was going to do it. So then Antipater, Craterus, and Antigonus all head off to Asia to deal with Perdi. Meanwhile, important detail, Antipater left behind one of his generals, Polypericon, to govern Macedonia and Greece in his stead. That is important. That is an important name that will get his own episode and will be the second person to receive our coveted title of Bless His Heart. Oh, no. But that's going to come later. So now Antipater, along with his son Cassander, Craterus, and Antigonus, cross over to Asia. They divide the army into two. Mm-hmm. Craterus and Antigonus go to fight Eumenes. Antipater goes south to fight Perdiccas. By the time he got into Syria, however, Antipater received some news. Perdiccas is dead. First one was that Eumenes had scored some major unexpected victories right. over Craterus and Antigonus in Asia Minor. And the second was that Perdiccas was killed by his own troops. So now he waits. Perdiccas's army was being led up north to meet Antipater's troops in Syria under their new commanders, the guys that killed Perdiccas. Supposedly, however, 
Arhadias's wife, because you'll recall Eurydice. that Alex and Ar Arhadias were there with Perdiccas. Arhadias's wife, Eurydice, she's causing some problems. She was attempting and apparently succeeding at causing dissension within the Macedonian ranks and trying to solidify her own influence and power. The troops, however, when they got into Syria at the city of Triparadesos, they elected Antipater as the regent in Perdiccas's place and gave him full powers. Now here's Antipater, 79, 80 years old. Still there, still kicking. Yeah. And he gets up and addresses the troops, and apparently, according to Diodorus, by thoroughly frightening Eurydice, he persuaded her to keep quiet. <laughs> he scared someone's... It's probably the oldest person she's ever seen in her life. He's horrifying. Like Viserys. Yeah. Falling oh. apart. So here's the new division of Alexander's empire. Okay. It's important, I've, and I have truncated it, because there are some names that have, new names that are appearing, okay. and some names that are changing. See oh. if you can, see if you can pick up on them. Thereupon, he distributed the satrapies anew. Well, this is Diodorus Siculus, by the way. To Ptolemy, he assigned what was already his for it was impossible to displace him. Since he seemed to be holding Egypt by virtue of his own prowess, as if it were a prize of war. Babylonia to Seleucus, Susiana to Antigones, because he had been foremost in making the attack on Perdiccas. Persia to Peocestes. He added Paraponisidae to the domain of Oxiartes, father of Alexander's wife, Roxana. Of the satrapies that faced the north, Cappadocia was assigned to Nicanor, Great Phrygia and Lycia to Antigonus as before. As general of the royal army, he appointed Antigonus, and citing him the task of finishing the war against Eumenes and Alcetas, Perdiccas's brother. But he attached mm -hmm. his own son, Cassander, to Antigonus, as Kiliarch, second in command, so that the latter might not be able to pursue his own ambitions undetected. Antipater himself, with the kings and his own army, went on into Macedonia in order to restore the kings to their native land. And he married one of his other daughters, Eurydice, to Ptolemy. Now, threw a lot of names at you there. Yeah. Let's go over the changes. So first of all, we have recognition that we can't get Ptolemy out of Egypt. He's just stuck. Then we also have Seleucus getting Babylonia. He was Perdiccas' second in command. Antigonus was the, one of the other guys who killed Perdiccas. Mm -hmm. So you can see the, per the people that killed Perdiccas are getting promotions. And Alexander's father-in-law, he gets provinces. And apparently, Antipater does not trust Antigonus because he's got his son keeping watch on him. But we'll be back after these messages. Looking for love? The dating scene is tough out there. I mean, people are dying. But having trouble? I'm the fancy pants ruler of the kingdom, and I don't have a wife. But I'd like to. Then maybe you should try HellenisticDating.com. Here at HellenisticDating.com, we know what's important to you. Sometimes, time is of the essence. I'm 35, so I've only got a few years left, and I don't want to waste them with just anybody. That's why I use HellenisticDating.com. Sometimes, family is important. My mom told me to go over there and marry this guy, said it would be good for the family. That's why I use HellenisticDating.com. Sometimes it's for the wonderful gift of children. Oh yeah, we definitely know we want kids. I mean, because everybody knows you gotta have an heir and a spare, right? Am I right, guys? Or maybe you like to think about the future. It is imperative that I use a political marriage to solidify my alliance with my conspirators and our ultimate aim to overthrow the empire. That's why I use HellenisticDating.com. At HellenisticDating.com, we use our scientific, patented set of criteria to find your perfect match. 1. Are you alive, unattached, and from a powerful family? 2. Is there someone else alive, unattached, and also from a powerful family? 3. Do you or your parent want to use your children to submit a political partnership? Hellenistic Dating knows exactly what I'm looking for, because my mom told them. And me. I want someone who shares my interests. Like being told to marry someone I've never met before. At HellenisticDating.com, we guarantee that you'll find that special someone. Ah, yeah. The best thing about HellenisticDating.com is that it's like five people alive in the world, right? So no swiping left on me. Lack of options, baby. And if you're not lucky in love at first, don't worry. We'll be there for you. 
After my first husband died in battle, I met my second husband on HellenisticDating.com. He also died, but then I found my third husband again on HellenisticDating.com, and we're gonna last forever. Yeah, I'm never gonna die. Hey, what's that guy with that knife doing over there? So come on, join HellenisticDating.com today. Fall in love with someone you've never met before and marry them because your parents forced you to. And we're back. Okay, that was um, a bit of a tamer commercial than the last one. I hope those people find love. So anyway, uh, after dividing up the empire, then Antipater's like, I'm going home. He takes both of the kings. Apparently, he's going to be the tutor for Arhadias. He was going to train that kid and raise him upright. And he just goes right back to Macedon. So now we're at 320. And at this point, I have to confess something to you. I forgot to give you a really important term that really characterizes the whole period. Chaos. Well, that too. Um, so starting with Perdiccas, this whole civil war thing, it's got a name. They're the wars of the Diadokoi. If I had known how to pronounce it, I yeah. was going to say it because I was just looking at my spreadsheet. And for everyone listening who was shaking their head and was like, you forgot to call it the War of the Diadokoi. I apologize. I forgot. And I only realized that when I looked at my notes and was researching Antipater and looking at how the second War of the Di Diadokoi starts, I'm like, oh crap, I forgot to mention the first one. So the first one with Perdiccas was called the War of the Diadokoi, or the First War of the Diadokoi, or the First War of the Successors. Okay. You know, kind of what this whole podcast has been about. Kind of our whole plot. Our whole thing we're doing here, yeah. So the first war of the Diadokoi, or the first war of the successors, was the one with Perdiccas. Okay. So now that that's been kind of wrapped up, 320, Antipater's going back to Macedon. Things are going kind of peachy. Everything's wrapped up nice. When he gets home, he learns about Demides betraying him to Perdiccas. And you may recall that Demides was that Athenian who was writing letters to Perdiccas, actually inviting him to come to Greece and kick out Antipater. Yeah. So Antipater gets back, and the sources say that he kind of plays fast and loose, or maybe that's not the right term. He kind of keeps his cards close to his chest. Okay, that's quite the opposite of playing fast and exactly. loose. As soon as that came out of my mouth, I knew it was wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Antipater finds out about it, and he kind of holds his cards close to his chest. Eventually, the Athenians actually send Demides to Antipater on a diplomatic mission or something. And the moment he steps into Macedon, Antipater arrests him on the spot, throws him into prison, and then executes him. Which I know doesn't roll off the tongue very well, but that's how it happened. But it still makes me chuckle, because it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, get him! No, I, I think I um, was just kind of reacting to the thing, they're like, they arrested him immediately, threw him in jail, and then executed him. I'm like, you're not going to give him a trial. Why didn't you just execute him right then? I actually 100% agree. I mean, I thought it was funny, but you do make a good point. All right, so, Demides is dead. We got him. We did it. 319. Okay, Antipater's back in Macedon, and he gets sick. And then, according to our source, Diodorus Siculus... He gets sick, and it's a particular type of sickness that doesn't really help when you're really freaking old. And it looks like here it's going to happen. Oh, no. Finally, old man Antipater's going to kick it. He dies of old age at 81 years old. That's pretty impressive. For this time period? Yeah. I mean, geez, half the people. A toothache. Falling off your horse. Falling off your horse. Paper cut. Ooh, paper cut. Spear through the chest. Stepping on a nail. Yeah. So, we can actually infer that Cassander might have been there beside Antipater when he died. Now, he's supposed to be in Asia with Antigonus as his second-in-command, but we have sources that place Cassander in Macedon at the time of Antipater's death. So, we know he was there. I emphasize that because we need to talk about the succession. So, Cassander was there when dear old dad died. How convenient. So let's talk about the succession. Antipater did not appoint his son Cassander to the regency, even though Cassander was right there when his dad died. I'm smiling so big because I know Jonathan Rhys Myers plays Cassander in the Alexander movie, 
And while I haven't seen that, I've seen him as Henry VIII, and I'm just picturing the Henry VIII temper tantrums when that order is read out loud. Hold on to that temper tantrum. Okay. Yeah, hold on to that, because that's kind of what's coming next. So Antipater did not point Cassandra to be the regent. Now, for all the, you know, talk about these Hellenistic kings being crazy and just making dumb decisions, this was a surprising moment of clarity for Antipater. And to hell with tradition. Let's actually ask ourselves, what's the smart thing to do? Because Antipater said that Cassandra was too young. Which is kind of insulting, because Cassandra was 36. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I mean, I'm only 38, so I'm only just now old enough. Well, especially when you think about the lifespan back then. Yeah, he's 36. He's only got two years left. According to our dating website. Yeah. Time is of the essence. Instead, Antipater appoints another old general, Polypericon, as regent. Do you remember him? No. He's the guy that when Antipater and Antigonus and Craterus went off to attack Perdiccas, they left Polypericon behind in Macedon to take care of things. Okay. And I told you to remember that name because he's going to get his own episode. So on to your temper tantrum. Cassander is passed over and he is pissed and all of his friends keep telling him, this isn't fair, you shouldn't be passed over, Polypericon shouldn't be the regent, you should be the regent. And he says, you know what, I think you're right. And he goes over to Asia and he starts talking to Antigonus and then he starts talking to Ptolemy about forming an alliance against Polypericon and now we're into the second war of the Diadochoi. And that's it. All right. Antipater's dead. So let's rank him according to our scientific, sophisticated criteria. Number one, Aristea. Battle prowess. So how do you think old man Antipater did? I'm pretty impressed. So we can review it. He was left in charge of Macedon, mm-hmm. guarding the borders pretty well. He defeated Sparta. Yeah. He had the Lamian War, and that gave him some difficulty. Yeah. But he came out on top, ended up going against Perdiccas, but nothing much came out of that. I think I'm also impressed, too, knowing how strapped he was for resources the entire time. So it's not like he was left with some huge standing army, and it was a no-brainer that he could defend the battle, defend the borders. Antipater is indicative of something I've always said about my favorites are those who don't necessarily win every battle, but it's how they deal with adversity. And I think he's very impressive at being able to accomplish so much with so little. You, well, you look at Alexander and it's like, Philip left you in a wonderful position. There's really no reason you shouldn't have been successful the majority of the time. However, he took those resources with them mm-hmm. and left Antipater. Yeah. So you're... So what do you think? You want to give him... I'm going to give him a seven. Six. Okay, that's 13. So... Eutychia. Success. How do you think he did overall? I think he did really well. I think he did great. I think he did fantastic. He was wonderful. He guarded the borders. He dealt with rebels. He continued to work within the League of Corinth. He didn't get along with Olympias. They seem like petty squabbling problems. Not like actual day-to-day impacting the Empire problems. He put down the Lamian Revolt. He was going to deal with Perdiccas. He never ended up having to, but he was about to, and he was going to do it. Um, I'm going to give him a 10. You know what? No. I'm going to give him a 9. Because he did not make Cassander his heir, and that ended up screwing things up in the long run. So you're going to give him a nine? We give him nine. Meredith is either thinking really hard or she's eating something very sour because she's, you know, contorting her mouth. What's it going to be, Meredith? What choice will she make? This summer, Meredith picks a number. I'm going to go six. Oh, oh my gosh. Just because I'm looking at the spreadsheet and I'm looking how we did Philip and Alexander. And I think there's something to be said for the scale. Yeah. Of the accomplishments, sure. like he was successful in everything, but it's not on the same broad scale as like what Ooh. Philip accomplished okay. and what Alex accomplished. Okay. So I'm going to say like you did it. Yeah, you held it together. But we were very localized in our goals. That's an ex. What? Well, no, he did rearrange the empire at the Treaty of Tripolidasis. And then he died. But I'm saying when you. <laughs> it's look- not his fault. No, but I'm saying when that is a blippet. 
okay. when you look at his life's mission and task. Okay. I, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I see your point. Okay. Great. I love it. I love us disagreeing. That's the beauty of it. Okay. So you give him a six, I give him a nine. Mm-hmm. Fifteen total. Yep. Which uh, makes him as successful as Alexander the Great, which I'm now understanding why everybody was like, oh, they were harsh. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? We are harsh. We have high standards. We have Alexandrian standards. Akon. Image. Meredith, take it away. I've been a digging. Funnily enough, after I searched and searched for Perdiccas, Roberto from Tsar Power told me he found a later century engraving of Perdiccas on Russian Wikipedia. So as I was looking for Antipater and finding nothing or finding pictures that didn't have proper citations saying why they thought this was Antipater, I reached out to him and he did find something else on Russian Wikipedia thing. I also reached out to Derek from Hellenistic Podcast and he confirmed that he doesn't think there are any confirmed likenesses of Antipater or Cassander for his episode. Oh, so really? we're gonna go off what Roberto sent. I also combed the cast list of the Colin Firth Alexander movie and Antipater's not even a character in it, which makes sense because that follows Alexander and his exploits, so we can't even do the, like, you get a point for being depicted in a movie. So you found him. Roberto you find? sent me this. Meredith's going to show me a picture. It's from much later. Okay. Like a couple centuries on. Yeah, looks I'll like put, a coin. I'll put it all in line. In a tripod. Uh, he looks. He looks goofy. He looks like he's wearing a diadem. Oh my gosh, you're right. Um, looks like it says just something is. Wait a minute, that's not him, because the other Greek word on there is Basileus, and then Antipatros, and that means king, and Antipater wasn't king. All right, zero for him. I did find another coin. But it didn't have an, it didn't have his face on it. Mm-hmm. But it was a coin attributed to Alexander. I'm sorry, attributed to Arhadias. Oh, I saw that. So I think that goes again into the Perdiccas category, where if you're the regent, it would not be smart for you maybe to spread your likeness around, especially on coins, because that would make you look like you were trying to be king. Sure. Um, but the fact that this is attributed to Arhadias seems to be significant, because from what we can tell. Antipater kind of favored Arhadias. He would have maybe been in the camp of like Arhadias should be king kind of thing. Because Alex number four is alive at this point, but the sources like specifically say that when they were going back to Macedon, that Antipater, you know, he was like going to be the tutor for Arhadias. So, and the reason I'm saying that's because that's maybe the significance of why the that coin was minted with Arhadias's name which can connect it to Antipater. But again, yeah, nothing. Nothing. So, zero. Well, no, but again, like I'm going to give him one because it would not... No, I guess I can't. I gave Perdiccas a point for not being we, stupid enough to put his own face on a coin. Mm, yeah, but we also gave him a point for having a movie representation. That's true. Well, I gave him two points. Yeah. So I'm going to give him one. Okay. And you'll give him... Zero. Zero? All right, so he gets one for Akon. Mania. Craziness. How crazy was Antipater? Not really getting any vibes. And remember, we're, we revised this category to say that uh, it's defined as looking at someone's decisions and re- like responding with, what the hell were they thinking? Yeah, I'm still not getting any not vibes. Not getting anything there. No? Um... I'm going to have to agree with you. But but what what about cutting the guy's tongue out, though? That's standard. Is it? Yeah. Have we seen that yet? I've heard about it throughout history. Too much Game of Thrones. No. I've heard about it throughout <laughs> history. It's a pretty standard thing, especially with the Romans. Yeah, but we're not even there yet. No, we're not there yet, but they had to have learned it from someone. <laughs> But the first time it happens, it has to look crazy. It's like, Dad did it? No. <laughs> no, I think it's a very 
symbolic thing. These were two orators. It's true because there's also the theory that. Um, also, you said that he might have bit, bit his, his own, own tongue, tongue off. off. Yeah, I can't think of anything. So what do you give him for Mania? Zero? Zero. I give him zero. Everything made good sense to me. He's so boring, so prudent. Kronos! Time. Okay, so apparently, Perdiccas died in 320. And then that same year, that's when Antipater was appointed to be the new regent. And he died a year later. He gets one year. One year. Okay. That, even I can do that math in my head. Yeah. One times 1.54 is 1.54 points. And now the bonus round. Catastrophe. Meredith, did his ass get assassinated? No. Well, he was assassinated by old age. I prefer Game of Thrones. All men must die. Well, Antipater tried to disprove that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's why he gets a bonus point. And that's why he gets the bonus point. He was not assassinated. All right, Meredith, so let's review for Aristea. 13. For Eutychia. 15. For Akon. 1. For Mania. 0. For Kronos. 1.54. And Catastrophe? 1. Which gives us a total of... 31.54. 31.54? Well, he beat Perdiccas. Yo, he beat Perdiccas. He's nowhere near. Philip's at 77. Alex is at 82. Perdiccas is at 25 point something. 25.08. All right, Meredith. Now Antipater has joined the rest at the River of Sticks. Is he going to get the Alexander Standard and go to the Elysian Fields? Or is he going to go to Tartarus and have a bad day? I'd say Tartarus. I wouldn't stop someone on the street and tell you about them. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he gets the Alexander Standard. So off to Tartarus. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Just as a reminder, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you can always email us at alexanderstandardpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at the Alexander Standard Podcast, Instagram at Alexander Standard Pod, and Twitter at Alex Standard Pod. Join us in our next episode for Philip III Arhadias, the king himself, or one of the kings. And his queen, Eurydice. That's right, we're going to do a combo episode just because of the circumstances of Arhadias's life and the fact that Eurydice was just very awesome. We're going to give them a combo episode. And this has been The Alexander Stack. And Antipater, lesson you borrowed for. <laughs>